0: Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about how the Winnipeg Jets handled the Ottawa Senators. This is their first road game in some time, and obviously the Jets on the road have not always been ideal. suppose you could say their home performances weren't exactly stellar either, but the Jets, you know, it's, it's whatever. Uh, they were pretty good on this past homestand, so things all in all were looking relatively positive for a visit to the Sens, although the last time the Jets... Did visit the Suns. The actual scoreline was probably a bit of a betrayal of just how close the uh, Ottawa squad kind of got to to evening the game up, at least. That doesn't, you know, always mean that the next game that you play is going to be the same thing, but tonight actually started off with the Suns looking like the better squad. They seemed pretty hungry and they were generating some pretty decent scoring opportunities and a lot of uh, end to end rushes that I think gave Winnipeg's defense some fits. The Jets kind of looked disorganized and a bit helter-skelter for a few minutes, and I kind of was worried that, oh, you know, here we go again, here come the Jets, playing a relatively disappointing game after a pretty good home stretch. I didn't really worry that they were going to lose, necessarily, but I thought this might be one of those really close, close games where the Jets sort of squeak out a win and we all kind of shake our heads and think, well, that is uh, maybe a bit of a, a chink in the armor, so to speak. Unsurprisingly, Ottawa did eventually convert on the, uh, I believe, the ninth shot of their attempts on goal, which is, you know, fair enough. They were dominating the Jets for a few minutes, and then not too long after, they took a penalty. And lo and behold, Mark Shifley actually scored a power play goal. Shifley hadn't scored in his last 11 games, I think, based on what I saw from his game log. It's felt like a lot longer, though, generally speaking, because he's only had one in his last 15 or 16 if anyone needed a goal uh, more than Mark Shifley on this team, I really don't know who it would be. It's certainly not Patrick Laine, because Laine is actually still producing in other areas. This was a big deal for Shifley, and he followed up that first power play goal late in the first period, uh, not too long after the Sens took another penalty, and again, Mark Shifley tipped a shot to get his second of the game, and I'm sure that that probably came as a massive relief to the uh, the Young Center because the past few weeks have not been kind to his his points production and general offensive output. I've talked at length about his defensive issues, but really Shifley's game just hasn't been all that amazing to me. It's not like he's been terrible. I mean he's definitely putting shots on net, and I think more than anything that he was a little bit snake bitten to go scoreless for as long as he did. But I also felt like there were opportunities for him where he maybe overcooked a pass or, or overthought something and didn't really get a playoff in time that he should have. But in this period he got two power play goals and they were both pretty critical because the Jets were getting a little bit run over for uh, the early part of this game. I felt like their defense wasn't coping well with Ottawa's forechecking checking and, and pacey counter-attack and the Jets forwards really didn't get any offensive zone pressure whatsoever. Any time that they actually finally got out of the neutral zone and into Ottawa's end... Things were kind of grim because no one was able to c- complete passes or or really press the advantage or get into good scoring positions. The whole start to this game just felt a bit disjointed and janky, but it's at this point something that we're definitely used to. After the two power play goals, though, the momentum seemed to turn a little bit. Ottawa kind of, I don't know, felt maybe like the life got sucked out of the stadium. Kind of hard to say it really got sucked out when there weren't that many people there to begin with, but... All the same, you could sort of feel like Ottawa's energy was just sapped and gone. All of their forwards that were skating really quickly and generating uh, a couple of decent opportunities around the net just kind of died out. Winnipeg finally started getting some opportunities on net and looking a little more like an NHL squad. So at that point, I think Ottawa's fortune started to shift a bit. During the second period, things kind of started to fall apart a bit more for the Sens. Winnipeg actually got credited for most of tonight's high-danger scoring opportunities, which in general, after that first period, seems pretty fair. I think that Winnipeg had the uh, a slight step on Ottawa's defense and, and skaters. A couple of times, though, there were just straight-up breakaways that the Jets almost converted on or, or got very close to scoring on, and, and it really it was just kind of a, a bit of a deflation from the Sens after those two power play goals against... The sends weren't terrible, but a lot of times they just seemed to be going for a really long skate without a whole lot to show for it. A couple of the shots that they sent on net ended up testing Brassois, but I don't know that it's really whether or not the shots were quality or Brassois just not being that great. Labored as Brassois's saves may have been, they were enough to keep uh, Ottawa from converting any chances during the second period. Meanwhile, Winnipeg added two goals, one off of a a nice give-and-go for Kyle Connor and the other from a weird bounce that kind of went off of one of Ottawa's skaters and deflected on net for Hogberg and the young netminder just didn't seem to be set for it because it kind of squirted back out, and Aylers collected the rebound and just tucked it in between his pads. It's kind of funny because I don't think that either the Jets or the Suns really did a whole lot through the first 40 minutes of the game, and yet Winnipeg had a 4-1 lead before you knew it. Kind of a a funny sport this is, But I will say that Mark Shifley collecting a couple of goals is a big deal because he hasn't had a whole lot to show for over the past couple of weeks, and I'm pretty sure it's been reflected in his body language. He's been sort of down and upset about things, you can tell, and it's been weighing on him pretty heavily. But, you know, sometimes you just need a a nice bounce here and there to break for you, and finally you can maybe start getting back to what you're used to. I know somebody was saying he had the flu and was feeling under the weather, but I, I tend to think that Mark Shifley's flu is a little bit more... Uh, psychological than just the physiological issues. Mark hasn't been good for a while, and he's been struggling to do some of the stuff that he's used to, I think in part because of his usage and just, I don't know, personal performance for him has been a little bit of uh, an up-and-down sequence this season. Through the first two periods, though, he had a three-point night, which is pretty good, all told. Kyle Connor, I thought, was very frustrating to watch. He didn't really seem to have a whole lot of impact. He had a goal and an assist, but beyond that... uh, Connor, for me, is a very frustrating player to watch. In a game like this where the Jets don't create all that many opportunities or or just kind of skate a lot without getting to the high-danger, low-slot area, guys like Kyle Connor, who have really almost one-dimensional games, tend to struggle a lot because they're not able to create better opportunities for their teammates and stuff. Connor did have a couple of decent passes to set up his line mates, but generally speaking, I just wasn't impressed. He's too much of a poacher in my opinion and I think that's one of his key downfalls is he's just not really a multi-dimensional scorer and that's kind of a problem. The rest of the game really wasn't anything to write home about. The Jets basically ran over the third period and just kept Ottawa from doing anything interesting, generally speaking. The Sens got caught on some really sloppy line changes and didn't really do a whole lot. I felt like some of their best opportunities ironically came on the PK when the Jets were just kind of sloppy and a little bit lazy on the power play. For a Jets, Special teams unit that was like two for five on a power play tonight. They definitely didn't play particularly well when they had the man advantage. They weren't terrible, I wouldn't say, but I think the two goals that Shifley scored were a little more fortunate than the Jets being really dominant. Sometimes, though, you just really need those bounces and to take advantage of a team when it's kind of down and out. And I think that's what Winnipeg did for the most part. I feel like they came with a a mission to earn two points, and that's exactly what they did. Shifley ended up completing his hat trick uh, just before the end of the game on a third power play goal, and actually, Logan Shaw somehow drew an assist on this. I think I saw Gabriel Bork on the ice too, which is really funny. Shifley was probably at the end of a shift because the power play was about to end, but uh, he ended up just taking a shot on net, and I don't know that Hogberg ever really saw the puck because he reached his glove up but kind of missed it. It's not the worst hat trick I've ever seen, but I'm pretty sure that uh, Hogberg will probably not be thrilled with himself over that. I'm sure Hogberg is going to be blaming himself for tonight's performance, but in general, Ottawa, after that first period, just kind of sagged, and I feel like neither team really pushed the pace. There was definitely a lot of speed, but it really wasn't turned into anything productive. Ottawa having to face the Jets, though, is kind of a problem, because even when Winnipeg isn't creating a whole lot, they have the scoring talent to paper over those lack of offensive chances. What I did overall like about tonight was that I felt Winnipeg was a little more clinical than they've usually been, even though the Jets weren't getting all of that many um, grand scoring opportunities to convert on, when they did, they were pretty lethal. Their top scorers basically did the work and were, you know, in the positions to, uh, to score and pull the trigger more frequently than some of the other games in which they've dominated play and not really been putting it in the back of the net. It's pretty good to see them scoring goals and uh, getting some nice opportunities. I think the biggest thing is that they want a road game against a team that they haven't always done well against. The Sens are a pretty crappy squad at this point, and I don't mean that as a reflection of their talent level. I mean, they just don't have a whole lot of depth or skill to work with in the sense of, um, well, they're pretty shallow right now. I don't want to say like it's an indictment on the team itself. It's more, I think the management and the coaching are not really up to par. The one goal that they got tonight was from Nick Paul, who has eight goals. So I think that tells you a lot about where Ottawa's roster is. Nick Paul's not really an NHLer but he's playing for the Suns at this point so you can kind of get a sense of where things are for this this franchise. It's been a long few years but I think Suns fans at least can rest assured that good things are coming because they have San Jose's first round pick and the Sharks lost again tonight to the New Jersey Devils. They're looking at some nice lotto territory even though they traded one of their best franchise all-stars in the history of this team. They're still on the on the path of getting something nice out of it all. Speaking of getting nice things, I have to say that uh, on the whole I thought that Dylan DeMello tonight was pretty decent. Um, DeMello didn't have to do a whole lot because he wasn't really given all that much ice time. The Jets seemed to work him in pretty calmly and without a whole lot of fanfare. I know that this definitely pissed off Jets Twitter because everyone was upset that Morrissey and Pullman were together again. I'm definitely in the camp of Pullman needing to be demoted. I can understand not rushing DeMello into top four duty, but I kind of feel like you might as well because DeMello is probably fine and he's been in Ottawa for several months. He knows how the team operates. He's played alongside those guys. I think that there is a comfort and familiarity with their play style that would have been perfectly fine for him to, to pair up with Morrissey tonight. But, you know, in his limited role, I thought that he was fairly successful. He had some good reads and and nice passes. He was able to protect the puck or force a turnover from an opposing forward. I felt like his positioning was decent. When you watch him, he's not like a terribly active D. I thought that he might be more fleet of foot than he is, but he just seems to be a guy who makes simple plays and does things effectively. Um, When you look at his heat maps from Micah Blake McCurdy's website, You actually notice that he has a notably higher offensive impact. We saw him take a couple of shots tonight, mostly from distance, so it'll be interesting to see if he activates a little more in the offensive zone. I have not really had a chance to do a whole ton of scouting on him, but from what I understand in uh, San Jose, he was a fairly active two-way transitioning D. He's not somebody who puts up gaudy numbers, but I think if he's on the ice and he's able to support the forwards and drop deep into the offensive zone while protecting the puck or, or forcing um, auto, you know, opposing skaters to drop further deep in the defensive zone, then I think that DeMello's impact would be overall net positive. If nothing else, I liked his defensive work. I think he made clean plays. It's certainly better than watching Bateto or Sabisa try to handle the puck. I do think that he needs to get promoted to that top four unit sooner rather than later because it's clear that Morrissey is just not particularly good right now. Josh has been swimming for many months in that top-pairing role. It seems like maybe this was a little bit too sudden for him, and he's just not equipped to handle it. And, like, you give him Tucker Pullman, and Pullman can't really help him either. Pullman has many of the physical traits and, I guess, individual tools and skill sets that would suit a top-four defenseman, but he doesn't really have the decision-making speed to handle that role. To be honest, Morrissey is probably in a similar situation, although Morrissey is obviously much more gifted, and we have a track record of him doing well when he's paired with the right kind of offensive defenseman. I'm not really sure why uh, Morrissey-Pionk isn't a thing anymore. I know that Pionk is obviously not the world's best defenseman. He's certainly not a, a number one or number two D. I think that he modestly is a number four guy, and that's fine. That's totally cool. But in my opinion, if you're going to have Demello sitting on your third pairing, at least for one game, then you probably should take Pullman off the first and put him on the second with Kulikov that first pairing needs a little more puck support and movement because Morrissey in the defensive zone and occasionally on trackbacks has been fairly disastrous. I thought tonight he was very bad against the Sens. He was a bit late and he took a really bad penalty tonight and it's just the kind of performance that I feel is very uninspiring as far as whether he's got positional awareness, the ability to use his sticks to impede, um, opposing skaters without taking penalties... I think, more worryingly, he just doesn't seem to have some of the reads that he's used to because there were times where I thought he looked kinda lost and didn't really seem to know what his coverage or his markings were supposed to be. For a team with very few NHL defensemen, I have to say that that is not exactly the most heartening of performances, especially from the guy you just signed to a long-term deal. I will say that there were some standout performances tonight, some guys that I think deserve a few more props. I thought Laine, even though he was a little bit frustrated uh, on a couple of power plays and stuff, I thought that he had a fairly good game. He's always the first guy to track back on defensive coverages. Say what you will about his overall defensive impact, but the commitment is always there. Whenever there's like a, a rush going the other way and he has to manage some kind of odd man situation, he always drops really deep to support the defenseman and likes to break up passes on that cross-seam movement. Laine has got a really good head on his shoulders, and I feel like that part of his game never gets talked about enough because, you know, everyone knows about him as like a, a, an elite shooting talent, but no one seems to talk about him as a really good setup and playmaking guy. It's clear that he's put a lot of focus on rounding out his two-way game and his defensive acumen because he continually intercepts plays and stuff and tries to cut it off, even if it's not always a successful attempt. Though he was held goalless tonight on a couple of opportunities where the passes just didn't seem to get to him in time. Cough, cough, Neil Pionk, please, for the love of all that's good and holy, pass faster, cough, cough. He did land himself a couple of nice assists on two of Shifley's goals, so, you know, he's definitely not contributing in the sense that He's not scoring goals, but he is helping in other areas. In fact, he's feeding his line mates and teammates a lot more than he should be. I think that he needs to be a little bit greedy at some point and hopefully find better shooting opportunities than he is now. Cop between uh, Connor and Line a seemed pretty decent. Cop is kind of a funny guy because he doesn't really have a. Uh, an expertise in any particular high-end skill set, but he's a good four checker and he makes a lot of space for his linemates. And uh, even though he only recorded one assist tonight, I think that his overall performance was pretty decent. He's very strong on the puck. He can penetrate the defensive zone pretty deeply. And uh, he always seems to be looking for other shooters to take the shot because I think that he knows he himself is not an elite finisher or a poacher, but he can still kind of grind out possession and set his line mates up. I don't think that this was his best game by a long shot. In fact, I thought he was kind of middling overall, but it's not bad. I mean, when you have very few center options, cop as your 2-seek, you could be uh, dealing with something a lot worse than that. One name that might surprise you as uh, somebody I would say is a standout tonight was Dmitry Kulikov, and I think Kulikov gets a very bad rap because when he's under pressure from high-end forwards, he tends to have some really bad brain farts where he doesn't seem to be paying attention. Kulikov, though, his defensive impact has always been rated decently over the past couple of seasons. I thought tonight, though, he actually made individual plays and smart reads that ended up cutting off some of Ottawa's really dangerous odd man situations. He had to contend with two or three two-on-ones where he actually laid out perfectly in the position to cut off the passing lane and force a perfect shot, or he actually broke up the play before the shot was taken. Over the past couple of weeks, he's been really good at using his body and his positioning to kind of seal off puck carriers and keep things away from the net area. Um, sometimes he gets caught in front of Hellebuck and, and gives up a goal because he's just sort of hanging out, not really adapting to the situation. But, you know, if the Jets want to bring him back for like one and a half million bucks or something, I'd totally be down with that. I think that Kulakov is, he's got some value and he's been pretty decent for the Jets so long as he stays healthy. Um, $3.5 is obviously kind of a problem, but if you paid him half that salary or or a little bit less, I think that that's very good value for the kind of player that he is. And I think that with the Jets not really having many better NHL options, he might not be a bad idea to keep around for at least another year or two. You should be surprised I'm saying this because I'm one of the guys who's been very critical and hard on him as of late, but Kulikov, I think over the past couple of weeks, very decent, very steady performances and he's kind of something that the Jets need in a time where their entire blue line is in a state of flux. One guy who I guess is going to get the default mention because of his scoring tonight was probably Neil Pionk. Somehow this dude just keeps getting points on the power play or in random situations where he always seems to find himself on the ice with good goal scorers who convert. I'm kind of curious to know what exactly his next contract is going to look like because Winnipeg kind of expensively bridged him, and yet... Now we're going to have to deal with the fact that he's on pace for like a 40-something point, 50-point season probably. Oh, actually, he's got 41 points right now as of tonight, so that's that's quite a bit for a guy who basically looked like a non-functional D when he was with the Rangers. I am very conflicted on what to do with him because on the one hand, I, I don't really want to pay him like $6 million for a multi-year deal. He's 24 and he's got obvious skills that are useful as a puck-moving D, but... I don't really know if I trust his overall uh, results yet. He's the kind of guy where I'd rather wait until he's towards the expiration of his RFA status before you decide if you want to lock up, just because he really hasn't had a massive sample size to draw from. He's still under 180 games played, and this is the first season where he legitimately looks like a quality top 4 D. And even then, Pionk definitely has quite a few warts to his game, Um, Even though he has done a lot of work defensively to work on body positioning, uh, his defensive reads, and trying to, I guess, use use physicality in the corners, he's still very raw. I think my bigger concern is that he's 24, and usually at this point you are around your prime, if not already deep into your prime, so is Pionk really going to get that much better? Uh, I don't know. I think mostly what you see with him is what you're going to be getting in the future, which is a very capable second-pairing guy. I just don't know if he's going to be worth whatever contract raise he's going to be looking for. I think my other concern is I don't really want to trade him either because Winnipeg kind of needs skilled right-handed D to man their all-situations play. But Pionk kind of has uh, certain limitations in other categories and stuff that I think makes me hesitant to want to extend him too. I think my take is if somebody gives the Jets a really good offer for Pionk at the trade deadline, don't turn it down, consider it. But otherwise, try and figure out if there's uh, some sort of a way to bridge him at least a little bit longer and see if he's got something that maybe the Jets can think about longer term. As of right now, though, he's kind of become one of our key contributors on the blue line, and with the Jets chasing a playoff spot, I think he should be hanging around for a little bit longer. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed tonight's show. Be sure to tune in for tomorrow night's episode, and next week we'll be starting our stories from the Game 1 collecting world, in which we have some interviews with a couple of folks who uh, I've come to know pretty well for the past couple of years, and they've all had some really interesting encounters with either special jerseys or folks that they've gotten to know from the pro hockey world, and I think you'll really appreciate some of those stories. Thanks again, I hope you guys will tune in, have a great night, and go Jets go!